All right. It is great to see everybody. Uh, we welcome everyone. Again, my name is Steve Murphy. Whether you're joining us here in the room or checking us out online, thanks for joining us. Uh, we especially welcome our guests. Um, if you're here for the first time, make sure you stop out in the lobby and uh, go to the Welcome Center. It's right to the right of these main doors. And uh, there are people there who would just want to meet you, give you a gift from the church, um, and just tell you hello. Um, one of the things, I forgot to bring one with me, but one of the things that they are, we are now giving away is a travel mug that says Discover Christian Church. So if you're here for the first time, you get one for free. That's awesome. If you're here for the second time or more, you have to buy one. <laughs> so they're, literally, I, I was going to have mine with me. They're awesome. They're available in the... Uh, is it the Oasis? Someone help me. Yes? In the cafe. Okay. Um, they're available in the cafe, and you can pick them up. They're 10 bucks, and it's an insulated travel mug. It says Discover Christian Church on it. has a website. Um, it's really a good deal. You can't buy them that cheap. This is what they look like. <laughs> Thank you, my friend. So those are pretty stinking sweet, I think. Um, but anyway, check those out. Um, the, the thing is... Um, uh, the, the money that we use from the sales of those buys the ones that we give away for free to the guests. So it's kind of a cool thing. It's just a self-sustaining deal. Um, we're going to be in uh, the book of Acts today. We're in chapter um, 17. And uh, you're wondering, what is this thing up on the screen? Um, if you were here last week, you know. If you weren't, let me explain it to you real quick. Um, last week, we handed out these cards that have a grid. And uh, what we're supposed to do is, is put an X in the grid that is... Uh, representing our home, and then every other uh, square in there is one of our eight closest neighbors. And we're supposed to write the names of our neighbors. And it's challenging for a lot of people. We don't know the names of our eight closest neighbors. But if Jesus said that we're supposed to love our neighbors, we love ourselves. We probably should at least know their names, right? It's a good place to start. So if you didn't get one last week, you can actually make one of your own. Just take out a piece of paper and draw a grid. I'm confident you can do that. But we want to encourage everybody to just think about the reality that people all around us need to be loved by God and by us. So that's just a reminder to check that out. Um, again, we're going to be in Acts 17, but before we get there, I have to share a semi-embarrassing story. Um, sorry, I didn't clear this with my wife. Sorry, Teresa. It's not about her. So, Well, actually it is. But anyway, um, just in a subtle way. The, the main story is not about her. I'm totally off my notes. Sorry. Okay, so um, I was at a Chinese restaurant recently, and uh, I was in the, in the bathroom. And as I was washing my hands, I, I glanced over, and I saw their toilet paper holder. And it wasn't one of the big fancy ones, you know, with all of the big rolls. It was just like a, one you would have at your house. And I noticed that the orientation of the roll was under. You know what I'm talking about, right? The big debate over, under, over, under. That's where Teresa comes in because we have a little debate going on. And she does it under and I do it the right way. So anyway, um, <laughs> if you're not sure about that, you can literally check the patent for the toilet paper roll. And on the patent, it's over, just so you know. Anyway, so the Chinese restaurant was under and I was like, oh, they're going to lose customers over this. <laughs> I should probably go and, and flip that for them so that they do it the right way. But I, I, had, I had control. The Holy Spirit said, you know, you probably don't need to be involved with that. It's not really that big a deal, Steve. And so I said, okay, I'm just going to let it go. I washed my hands, headed out. Um, now, the reason I tell you that is only to make this point. People are different. Some people do the toilet roll 
under, and other people do it the right way. Some people don't care about the way that the toilet paper is oriented. Some people will, will go to someone else's house or a restaurant and they'll literally change it. Other people won't do that. Some people will stand in front of hundreds of people and talk about toilet paper rolls, and some won't. So there are all kinds of people that are different. And, and the really important thing about this is as we talk in this series about talking about Jesus, about discussing Jesus, about having spiritual conversations with people, we have to understand that not everybody is wired the same way we are. And that's not a bad thing. God makes people all different kinds of ways. And we have to, to meet people where they are and, and have a spiritual conversation based on that commonplace meeting. Today we're going to look at a group of people um, who typically just kind of deny that Christianity is real or that Jesus was, a, was raised from the dead or that, that God even exists. And these people who doubt what we would call traditional Christianity are normally called skeptics. And, and again, before we get to Acts chapter 17 and, and look at a story about some skeptics, I, I want you to know skeptics are not evil people. They're not. In fact, in Acts chapter 17, at the very beginning of the chapter, it talks about how this group of people called the Bereans were called more noble because they were skeptical about what Paul, that Paul, the apostle who wrote nearly half of the New Testament, they were skeptical about what he was saying to them, and they checked the scriptures to see if what he said was true. And God calls them more noble because they wanted to, to check and see if this was true or not. So there's nothing inherently wrong about being skeptical. In fact, the apostles didn't believe that Jesus had raised from the dead at first. They wanted to be convinced, especially Thomas, right? And we give him a, a bad rap, but Thomas was simply saying, I want to see for myself. I want to know if this is true or not. Paul himself was a skeptic. He was worse than a skeptic, though. He was an attacker. Paul did not believe Jesus was who he said he was. In fact, Paul was uh, responsible for attacking Christians, persecuting them. Paul was responsible for watching Christians die and being really, really glad about it. But God got a hold of Paul, and he was able to take this analytical, skeptical mind and use it to reach people for the Lord. And here in Acts chapter 17, Paul meets a group of thinkers, of philosophers, of skeptics. And Athens is a very important cultural center. It's a very important, uh, important city in the uh, old world, as you probably know. Um, but Paul meets these people there, and he decides to get up and, and talk to this group of people about Jesus. And we pick up the story in Acts chapter 17, verse 22. Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and said, People of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription to an unknown God. So you are ignorant of the very thing you worship, and this is what I am going to proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he gives, him, he gives life 
to everyone and breath and everything else. From one man he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth, and he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. As some of your poets have said, we are his offspring. Therefore, since we are God's offspring, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by human design and skill. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands people everywhere to repent. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He has given proof to, of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. We need to know that the Athenians were, were sophisticated. They were educated. They were spiritual. But they were not biblical. They rejected the idea that there was a single, all-powerful God, that there was absolute truth, and that there was a single way to get to heaven. Now, does any of that sound familiar? There are many people around us who think this exact same way. So how do we talk about Jesus with people with this worldview? And honestly, maybe you're one of those people, and you're welcome here. Well, here are five tips from the Bible that help us when we want to have a spiritual conversation with any person, but especially a person who is skeptical. Three of the tips come from one single verse, 1 Peter 3.15, which says this, But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. So first, if we have any hope of making an impact, we'd better be sure that Jesus is sitting on the throne, not us. It's not only a spiritual truth, it's a practical one. Because a skeptic, or pretty much anyone, can see through the duplicity that we have. So we need to be faithful and allow Jesus to be in charge, not us. Second, we must be prepared. So we study the Bible, we, we pray, and we read books that help us to understand and put together logical discussions about the, the hope that we really have. And uh, there's a list of some of those books for you uh, in the bulletin, so be sure to check those out. Third, we must always be gentle and respectful. You know, the old saying is true, you attract more bees with honey than with vinegar. One of the most effective ways to be ineffective for Jesus is to be loud and dogmatic and rude and brash. In contrast, Romans 2.4 says that God's kindness leads people to repentance. Gentleness and respect open hearts to the truth. Fourth, it's vital for us to listen. In an interview with Huffington Post, pastor and author Tim Keller said, we could do a far better job of patiently listening, and we should not talk until we can represent the skeptic's viewpoint with empathy so that a skeptic friend says, yes, that's my hang-up. I couldn't have put it better myself. Then, and only then, should you try to talk to someone and recommend the Christian faith to them. As a society, we are ill-equipped to really respect, dialogue, 
and learn from each other when we disagree or have different political or religious views. Wow. He's right. James 1.19 and 20 says, My brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry, because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. So if you follow that progression, it says listening well can help us become more righteous with God and can help other people be right with God too. But it starts by listening. We have to listen first. Then we can speak. And we're not supposed to get angry, except for righteous anger, which Jesus demonstrated. And that's maybe different. Finally, it's good to find common ground. Paul always found something in common. He began at that point, and he used it to begin uh, moving the dialogue or sliding the conversation to spiritual things, specifically Jesus. In Acts chapter 13, when he was talking to Jewish people, he used a common thing for them, the Jewish scripture and the Jewish history. And he used that as a starting point to begin talking about Jesus. In Acts chapter 14, he, he began with the common ground of food and crops and the reality that we are all needing sustenance. And he said that not only does God provide physical food, God also provides the spiritual food that we need. And here in Acts chapter 17, Paul starts with this common ground of the altar that he has seen with the people in Athens, and it says, to an unknown God. And so he begins there, and he says, this unknown God can be known. And he begins to tell them that, that God is the one who created everything, and, and that God has, has appointed Jesus. And Jesus, because of his death, burial, and resurrection, gives us hope for life. So it's very important for us to find common ground and to begin there. And then we allow the Holy Spirit to guide the conversation with truth towards spiritual things. Now, again, it's really important for us to understand that in our culture right now, spiritual thought and activity is very high. But biblical knowledge, biblical truth, biblical understanding is very low. And we also need to understand that it's impossible to prove God by the scientific method. As things stand right now, it's just not possible. And you know what? That's okay. Because we come to God through faith. There's always going to be an element of faith. But at the same time, there is always the possibility, the reality, that we can present reasonable um, evidence reasonable ideas that are going to help people consider the possibility that God is indeed real. In the book Transforming Neighborhoods, the author Tim Wallingford talks about the cosmological, teleological, and ontological evidence for God. Now, those are three big words, aren't they? Those are big, big words. But uh, in your life group this week, you can dig into what those three really mean and how that can help you as you talk to somebody who is skeptical. This morning, we're going to look at, at two things that are reasonable that help us um, see that God is real. God is, is, really exists. And the first one is creation itself. Everyone has creation in common. We are all created, and, and there's nature all around us. And in fact, you've, you've probably said it, you've certainly heard it, that, you know, when I'm in nature, I, I have this, like, spiritual kind of experience 
Um, if the person already believes in God, they say, I'm close to God when I'm in nature. But even people that are skeptical about God say there's just something about being in, in creation and in nature. And the reason for that is because creation points to God. Creation is a spiritual experience because God created everything. And so in Genesis, the very first chapter, the very first verse, when it says, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, it is reflecting who God is. Other verses that talk about this, Psalm 19.1, the heavens declare the glory of God and the skies proclaim the work of his hands. Romans 1.20, for since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. Again, creation declares, proclaims who God is. And here in our story, Paul, Paul uses the same idea. In verse 24, he says, The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. And there were temples all around him. He was using what was around him to begin the conversation. But creation itself points to the existence of God. We, our bodies, are an amazing evidence that points to a creator. If you study the human brain or the human eye or the human hand, you'll begin to see how reasonable it is that a creator was involved, that there was a designer. Or you can simply ask the question, well, how did that get here? I love doing this. How did that get here? And that can be water. It can be a person. It can be the earth. It can be Alpha Centauri. It can be whatever. And you just ask, well, how did that get here? Start, let me just think about water. How did water get here? I don't know. Well, what do you think? How did water get here? Well, it came from da-da-da-da, you know, and the person will give you their answer, and you say, well, where did that da-da-da-da come from? <laughs> well, you know, it just da-da-da-da. Uh, you know, well, where did that da-da-da-da come from? And you just keep going back, 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 back. And at some point, people will have to say, well, it was just always there. It's just always been, right? Matter came from something. Where did it come from? Well, you can have all kinds of speculation, or you can know the truth. And the truth is that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And I think it's fair to say that it takes every bit as much faith to believe that matter just appeared on its own and ordered itself as it does to believe that there is an all-powerful, loving God who spoke all of it into existence and ordered it. So creation provides logical evidence that there is a creator. However, there is greater evidence, I believe, of God's existence, and it's, it's in this room. And except for me, it's all seated. I believe that our lives, as they are transformed by the Holy Spirit and the Word of God, are tremendous evidence that God is alive and well. Transformation. In John 15, 5, Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Over time, as we become more like the creation that God wanted us to be, intended us to be, it's powerful evidence that God is real. And honestly, if you're not seeing transformation, you need to check your connection with God. 
We don't transform ourselves. God transforms us as we place ourselves in his care. And then transformation comes, and, and, and change happens in our life. Listen to Colossians 3, 7. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived. And 1 Corinthians 6, 11, And that is what some of you were. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the, fruit, or by the Spirit of our God. And so there's this difference. There's this used to be, and then there's transformation. And the used to be is looked at as things that weren't so great. But because of God's presence, because of God's activity in our lives, we become more and more to be the people that God intended us to be, created us to be. And that's evidence for God's presence. Sometimes people wonder, how do you know if you have the Holy Spirit in your life? Well, I think you, the Scripture is very clear. It tells you that, that the Holy Spirit enters your life when you make your profession of faith, when you're baptized into the Lord. That's when the Holy Spirit enters your life. It's not a formula. It's just the way things work. And evidence of the fruit of the Spirit, or the Spirit, is the, is the fruit of the Spirit. As we grow in love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, that is evidence. That is fruit. It's tangible. People can say, yeah, I remember when Steve used to be angry a lot. And he's still not perfect, but man, he's doing better. He's more patient than he used to be. Or he used to be, you know, he used to have a struggle with depression. And, and now he sees, you see joy in his life continuing to increase. Anything that happens like that is just the evidence of God, of the Holy Spirit working in our lives. Transformation is an amazing testimony to God. Now let me, let's put a picture to this, all right? A Lithuanian man decided that he was going to transform his old beat-up car, all right? So he used um, expandable foam, no lie, and cardboard, and he did that both on the interior and exterior of his car. I mean, you look at the car first, and you're like, that doesn't look so great. And you look down on the bottom, too, and you're like, that looks worse. Um, just reality. I mean, it just looks pretty bad so far, right? But here's the, here's the thing. He had vision, and he put in a lot of hard work. And now check out what the car looks like. Same car. Isn't that amazing? See, the world's going to tell you that you're broken down, that you're beaten up, that you're rusted out. But if you stay connected to Jesus, the vision and the work of the Holy Spirit and the Word will and can transform you inside and out. And as you're changed by God, you are literally a walking miracle, a testimony to God's goodness, power, creativity, holiness, and love. Your life is evidence that God is alive as he transforms you. Well, that's true. I believe that with all my heart. But I also realize something, and you know this too. This reality is true. Not everyone who hears believes. Not everyone who hears believes. But those who honestly seek God will. Even Paul, who was passionately sold out to Jesus and completely empowered by the Holy Spirit, wasn't able to convince everyone. A few chapters later, Paul's talking to a man named Agrippa. He's a king. And, and uh, he's trying to convince him who Jesus is. And King Agrippa says this to Paul, Do you think that in such a short time you can persuade me to be a Christian? Once when Jesus was giving an illustration, he said, If they don't listen to Moses and the prophets, they're not going to be convinced, even if someone rises from the dead. 
And after he did rise from the dead, right before he gave his commandment to us to make disciples, Matthew records that when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Not everyone who hears or even sees will believe. But everyone who truly seeks, finds. In Matthew, Jesus also said, seek and you will find. In Jeremiah 29, God said, you will seek me and find you when you seek me with all your heart. And here in verse 27, Paul takes the same idea. He says, God did this so they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. So we share the truth. We share the hope. We share the good news. And some people will accept it, and some people won't. And that's borne out in this exact story from Acts chapter 17. In verse 32, it says, When they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some of them sneered. But others said, We want to hear you again on this subject. At that point, Paul left the council. Some of the people became followers and believed. After hearing Paul, the reality is true. Some people simply choose to accept and follow Jesus, and some people don't. Now, today, we've joined together with parents making a commitment to raise children to hear the good news of Jesus, to be taught God's ways, to learn God's plan and design for their lives. But we cannot make any of those children follow Jesus. Following Jesus is a personal choice that every person must make. In a few minutes as we sing, you can come forward and, and choose to follow Jesus if you've never done that. And I'll be here in the front, and I'll meet with you, and I can pray with you. We can talk about what that looks like. But here's the bottom line for all of us. We need to be faithful to the end. And I love these promises from Jesus he says in the book of Matthew, whoever acknowledges me before others, I will also acknowledge before my Father in heaven. And then in the very last book of the Bible, Jesus says, be faithful even to the point of death, and I will give you life as your victor's crown. So our responsibility, really our privilege, is to faithfully share the good news of Jesus with everyone in our lives. And their responsibility is to choose to embrace the good news. But it means, I think, we, that we need to get out of the way of the good news. Sometimes I can get in the way. We simply need to let the good news be the good news. And when we do that, it's much easier for people to embrace Jesus. So we meet people where they are and we share the good news. Patrick Green of San Antonio, Texas, was an outspoken atheist. He consistently threatened to sue Henderson County about the yearly manger display at the courthouse. In an interview with a local newspaper, he said, My wife and I never had a Christian do anything nice for us. Green, who was 63 years old, soon learned that he had a detached retina. He didn't have the money to pay for the necessary surgery, and because he couldn't see, he had to give up his job driving a cab. Not long after, a lady named Jessica, who was a member of the local Baptist church, heard about his situation, and she told her pastor who called him, and Green said, if you really want to help, we need groceries. 
Green thought that maybe the church would give him 50 bucks or maybe even 100. But a few days later, he received a check for $400. And more checks followed after that. And he was blown away. He said, these people are acting like what the Bible says a Christian does. And now, rather than try to remove the manger display, Green said he would like to contribute a star to put on top of the nativity scene. However, he said, you people can figure out how to plug it in. There's that. There are Patrick Greens all around us. So let's share the good news of Jesus, meeting them wherever they are, both with our words and our actions, and give them the opportunity to see how good, how great, how powerful, how holy, how real God is. Let's stand and let's sing.